children may be dismissed to junior church, so you might head on out there. I appreciate Steve uh, clarifying that and adding to that. Uh, I know Steve has a wealth of knowledge and passion and wisdom from the Lord about leading worship, and I greatly appreciate it. You know, we sing out of our heart to the Lord, and um, the main reason, actually, I shared those is certainly because they're in Scripture so much about singing to the Lord as a congregation, but also because sometimes people might share certain songs and might wonder, uh, why can't we sing that in, in our worship service? And not every song works for every occasion or every location, you know, or every group of people. So that's something to keep in mind. I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And we're going to cover a large section of Scripture today, but I'm not going to... I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to read it in parts as we walk through Romans chapter 6 in order to emphasize that we are now dead to sin, alive to God. We've been preaching through Romans, right? Preaching through Romans. And a lot of times with the Apostle Paul's letters, on the front end of the letters, we have a lot of depth, a lot of theology. You know, you think of Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3, which I'm sure you all remember and know quite well because I preached on it uh, three and a half years ago. Don't worry, there's no pop quiz. But Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3, that those first three, cha- three chapters are all about theology. The theology of salvation. It's called soteriology. That's Ephesians chapters 1, through 2, and 3. And then starting in Ephesians chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul pivots. And he talks about practical matters. In Romans, eventually the apostle Paul is going to pivot. But not yet. <laughs> In Romans chapter 12, Paul will pivot and start to talk about practical matters. But right now, we are in the depth of where the Apostle Paul, inspired by God, of course. Inspired means God-breathed. Right now, we're where Paul is in the depth of being inspired by God, writing about our great salvation. You know, in chapter 4, a few chapters ago, we talked about, you know, the example of Abraham being justified by faith. You know, Abraham being declared righteous by faith. In chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Romans, we talked about how the Gentiles, you know, the Gentiles need a Savior. The Jewish people, chapter 2 especially, Paul was saying to the Jewish people in chapters 2 and 3, you need a Savior too. You're without excuse. And Paul's continuing to build on that idea that we are saved, declared righteous. By grace, by a free gift of God. And in chapter 6, he gets to a very important section where people might think, well, if I'm saved by grace, I might as well just sin. And he says in verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, by no means. It's an emphatic exclamation point. Three exclamation points. Actually, just one. But it's emphatic. By no means. You don't just continue in sin that that grace may abound. And he'll come back to that in verse 15 as well. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. All cultures, all people groups have to think critically about how do we deal with our sin. There's a group, a big get-together, the Kumba Mila. is the largest gathering on earth. During its last celebration in 2013, it was conservatively estimated that around 10 million people would gather. 10 million people in the city of Allahabad in northern India. Even some quoted a seemingly exaggerated figure of 100 million pilgrims coming to this religious gathering. Now, Why? As you will see as I continue to share about this gathering, the Kumbha Mila, they think they can take care of their sin there. 
The Kumamila etymologically means pitcher fair, pitcher fair. Takes place every four years in Prarog, Herid, Heridwar, Eugene, and Nesek by rotation, so it rotates those cities. In 2013, the festival is called the Maha, meaning super Kumbha Mila, which happens only once every 144 years. So in 2013, they thought this was a super picture fair that only happens once every 144 years. It's estimated that the, this, that this Kumbha cost around $210 million. But... Thankfully, also generated approximately 10 times that amount as calculated by India's Associated Chamber of Commerce Industry. Even people from far-flung places came to make this event a success. Andrew Turner from Australia, along with his wife and children, built an 18-by-6-foot boat to ferry devotees from one side of the river to the, others, to the other, free of charge. This... Man, Andrew, said, I'm living a dream at the moment, he said. When I heard that this kumba was happening about after 144 years, I thought I will never get a second chance. I joined the locals and landed in Prarag and walked several kilometers with devotees. The zealous faith snapped my ties with logic and reason. It was mesmerizing. Now, again, why? Here's the background. Hindu tradition says that there was a war between the gods and the demons over divine nectar. And in the process, four drops of nectar, four drops of nectar fell from the pitcher. That's why it's called the pitcher's fair. Four drops of that nectar fell from the pitcher. These fell on four different locations which overlapped the cities where the kumba is held. One of those drops fell at the Haridwar, where the river Ganges flows, while another fell at the Sangam. The Sangam is the confluence of three rivers, the Ganga, Yamuna, and the mythological river of Saraswati and Prarag. The other two drops fell at uh, Kishipra and Yujan and Gadawari and Nasek. And here's the key. These four drops of the nectar fell. The four drops of the nectar came about because of a struggle with the gods and the demons. And it is believed in Hindu tradition that a dip in these rivers on auspicious dates, on auspicious dates during the Kumbha is said to rid pilgrims of their sins. They all flock. 210 million people or so all flock, no, just 10 million, sorry, I'm not going to exist. 10 million people all flock to those rivers because they think a dip in those rivers can rid them of their sins. Romans 3.23, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, right? We all recognize the universality of sin, as has been declared in Romans. Anyone who reads a newspaper, right, and honestly reflects on it is hard-pressed to deny the reality and the universality of sin. We all probably recognize the reality and the universality of sin. Through the ages, humans have tried to rid themselves of sin and its consequences. There was a group of scholars meeting and they were all sitting and talking about what separates Christianity from the other religions of the world. And C.S. Lewis walked in the room and he said, it's grace. All the other religions are about trying to earn their way to heaven. But Christianity is about God's grace. 
Our sins were taken care of at the cross. They were nailed to the cross. In this passage we're going to look at, we're going to see that we died, metaphorically speaking, though literally died spiritually with Jesus on the cross. And we are raised, resurrected, spiritually speaking, and will be literally resurrected someday to live for Jesus. Religious rituals and idols and journeys and sacrifices have all tried to assuage and comfort the sinner's heart, but have all been found wanting. Robert Lowry wrestles with this question in the lyrics of a hymn. And he arrives at a significantly different answer than that particular festival of the Kumbha Mala. You know the hymn. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Romans 3.23 says, I'm sorry, 6.23. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the wages of sin is death. We're going to come back to that in a bit. But the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. He took care of our sins at the cross. So please keep your Bibles opened uh, to Romans chapter 6. as We're going to kind of skim over this chapter, focusing on certain verses here. My theme today is, we are dead to sin, alive to God. If you are a Christian, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, confessing you're a sinner in need of a Savior, if you have believed in Jesus as the one and only Savior, if you have trusted him and committed him, confess, believe, trust, commit, you are dead to sin, alive to God. And here's an application. Live for Jesus. We no longer have to be slaves to sin. Jesus conquered sin on the cross. We died to our old self, and our life is now hidden with him, the Bible says, in God. Galatians 2.20, where Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who died and gave himself as a ransom for me. Died to the old self. Live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. In this sermon, I want to walk through applications. So all the points are based off applications. First, in this passage, I see that we died with Christ to the old self. Therefore, we no longer have to live in sin. I've already emphasized that. We have died with Christ to the old self. Therefore, we no longer have to live in sin. Look at verses uh, 1 through 3. Verses 1 through 3. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again. This is saying we have been baptized into his death. When we are baptized, we believe in believer's baptism here. We, you go underwater, which is symbolic of dying with Christ and rising again. When you come up out of the water, and everybody I baptize also do, do come up out of the water. They don't stay in the water. They don't stay dead to their sin. They're alive to live for Jesus. Chuck Swindoll, in his book, Grace Awakening, which is a wonderful book, shares some differences. Verse 1 here, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might abound? Verse 1 is a different question than verse 15. We're going to get to verse 15 momentarily. Verse 1 is a question addressing those failing to claim their liberty. We have liberty 
to live for Jesus. We have liberty to live by the grace of Jesus, not in sin. Verse 1 is about, don't fail to claim that liberty. Verses 1 and actually through 14 are all about those who fail to claim liberty. Verse 15 is about those who take grace too far. We can take grace too far. We can think, I might as well just sin because it's all covered by the blood. And if that's the case, you probably really don't know Jesus. We're crucifying Christ all over again. Or at least you're a baby Christian. I can't for sure say you don't know him. But that's the wrong attitude. Look at verses 15 through 17. What then? Are we to continue in sin because we are not under law but under grace? That's verse 15. He says in the emphatic again, By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, your slaves are the, ones you, the one whom you obey? Either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness. Think about that. We present ourselves to someone as obedient slaves. We will all serve someone. Either you're going to serve sin leading to death or Christ which leads to righteousness. When we have been baptized with Christ, this means that we are baptized into Jesus. And Paul gives this analogy here of dying with Christ in baptism. Think with me about the cross. On the cross, Jesus died for our sins. He died for all of our sins, right? He died for every single one of your sins. If he did not die for all of your sins, then you would still have a problem. But he died for every single one of our sins on the cross. If he did not take care of all of them, then we would still have a major problem. So in that manner, Jesus died for all of our sins. They are dead. He became the sin offering for us, the substitutionary offering. He substituted himself in our place, taking the wrath of God upon himself, taking, uh, our, becoming our perfect sin offering. He died for them. In this way, when we are baptized into Christ Jesus, the sins are dead. Our old slavery to sin is dead. Would a slave want to go back to slavery? Think about it. Maybe one of the most uh, famous slaves, Frederick Douglass. Do you think he would have wanted to go back to slavery after he had escaped slavery and he had gotten his freedom and he was right? Would he want to go back to slavery? No. And we don't want to go back to our slavery to sin. That's dead. Our old self is dead with Jesus on the cross. So next application here, we have risen with Christ. We have risen with Christ, metaphorically speaking, and someday we will have that literal physical resurrection with Jesus. Jesus died, but we know that he's not dead anymore, right? We just celebrated Resurrection Sunday. So I don't think you have to wait for an answer right there. We, he died. He's not dead anymore. He lives. We live with him in a relationship with him. John 15 says we are to abide in him, live with him. We have risen with him. We have been risen with Christ, and Christ is not living in, in sin So we must live for him. Think about that, right? Christ isn't living in sin anymore, is he? He's not continually, you know, living in sin. No. And neither should we. Look at verses uh, 4 through uh, 7. Verses 4 through 7. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. There's that baptism metaphor that I just talked about. We were buried, therefore, with him, that's Jesus, by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Notice how it says that. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we, too, might walk in newness of life. That is powerful. 
You could spend more time on it. You could spend weeks on that. Buried with him in baptism, but raised with Jesus for justification to be declared righteous. We walk in newness of life. Verse 5. For if, we have been, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. <clears throat> That's powerful, isn't it? We were united with Jesus in a death like his. We will be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I like that. Think about it. Think about it. Our old self, crucified with him. Why? Why was the old self crucified? It says, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Whenever you see so that in the Bible, usually it means a purpose. So that, for the purpose that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, that old self, that sin self, that sin nature was crucified with Christ. It went to the grave. Verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. We're set free from sin. We are joined with Christ. Christ does not sin. We are joined with Christ. Christ can help us conquer our sin. But we have to abide in him. We have to live with him. We have to have a relationship with him. In verses 16 through 17, I, uh, I read that we will serve someone or something. It must be Jesus. Serve Jesus. Look at verses 16 through 17 next. I, I already read verse 16. I'm going to reread it, then read verse 17. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, your slaves are the one whom you obey? Either sin which leads to death or obedience which leads to righteousness. Verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. We will serve someone Either sin which leads to death or Jesus which leads to righteousness. I love how the Apostle Paul oftentimes just cannot help but launch into praise. Here he's writing about this deep theological topic. And what does he do? He kind of gives this almost doxology, like a mini doxology here. Not quite a full doxology which has to do with praise. But look at verse 17 again. But thanks be to God. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. You were slaves of sin, but now you're obedient. And how are you obedient? From the heart. The Old Testament talked about how eventually God in the new covenant will circumcise our heart. He'll tear out that heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, a, a, a malleable heart that's, that, that God can fashion and change and work with. Verse 23. Verse 23 I read at the beginning of this message, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 23, sin has a wage, and it is death. But God freely gives us eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, we can trust in Jesus freely and receive the eternal wage, the free gift of God, eternal life in Christ Jesus. And that's a summary of this section. Verse 23 is pretty much a summary of the whole section. It sums up the whole section. The outcome of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. And how do we get the eternal life? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you have the eternal life? Living for Jesus? Conquering sin? Not on your own, but by Jesus. We can't conquer it. We need Jesus. The guinea worm is a parasite that I hope none of you have had. 
is found in certain areas of Central Africa. It begins its life as a larvae, and it often hitches a ride in a millimeter-long crustacean called a cyclops. When a human drinks water from a stream in Africa, don't worry, don't drink the water in Poland and the stream either, but this is Africa, so if you accidentally are swimming in a lake, you might have other problems. But when a human drinks water from a stream in Africa, the cyclops enters a stomach where gastric juices, you know those acids in your stomach, gastric juices make short work of the cyclops. The larvae of the guinea worm, however, are not destroyed. It just destroys the cyclops. Now, that's nice of them. The worms, the guinea worms, poke holes in the human's intestines, and they go for a swim. After about three months, oh my gosh, like three months, this could be going on in our body. This is why I like Ohio. After about three months, the male and female larvae get together. And about one year later, a full-grown guinea, the width of a paper clip, the width of a paper clip wire, but up to three feet long, about three feet long, begins to move through the body. So now it's three feet long. It comes out. It begins to move through the body. This is about three months after innocently drinking it in your water in Africa. Begins to move through the body of the human host, and it causes tremendous pain. Finally, the worm pokes out of the host's body, probably through the foot. If not removed, the parasite will eventually lead to its host's death. Once the worm exposes itself, though, it can only be removed a few centimeters at a time. Otherwise, the worm will pull apart and die, resulting in infection and possibly death for its hosts. Sometimes a painful process takes weeks or months. Now, why do I share that? Not just to scare you away from swimming in Africa and go on a mission trip to Africa. I would definitely encourage that at some point. But the guinea worm is like sin in three important ways. The guinea worm is like sin in three important ways. First, sin is easy to get involved in. Just like drinking the water from a stream seems simple, right? Easy. So sin is also easy to get involved with. Second, sin is difficult to get rid of. Once, once you know, you get the guinea worm within you, it's difficult to get rid of. And likewise, sin is difficult to get, get rid of. When sin pokes its head out of our lives and we recognize it has to be dealt with, we should act. Forgiveness comes quickly. Right? We trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. That forgiveness comes quickly. But taking care of the sin is slow and agonizing. And we need the whole church to help us. We need Christian counselors to help us. But most of all, we need Jesus. We need to know him as Lord and Savior. We need to live for him. We need to be in the spiritual disciplines, in, the, in, in God's word and in prayer and all the other spiritual disciplines. Those are two ways. The third way the guinea worm is like sin is that when sin is left unchecked, it will kill you. We need Jesus. In Decision, I think that's Decision Magazine, Karen R. Moorhead writes this. She says, I was in a store shopping for a sweater. The cost needed to be minimal. So I went to the clearance rack to start looking, and guess what? She says that she found a sweater for $8. 
Without much more looking, she said she made her purchase. $8 was a good cost for a sweater for her. She got home and she put the sweater on and she noticed its, te its, its texture was nice and smooth. It was silky. It was nice. It, it felt comfortable. It was, it was an elegant sweater. You know, she, she grabbed it so quick knowing it was on the clearance rack. She did not notice how wonderful and beautiful and comfortable the sweater was. But then she was looking at the sweater more. And she noticed the sweater's original price was $124. $124. She, she says, I gasped. She says, I had never owned any clothing of that value. I had come home with what I thought was a cheap buy. She'd come home with what she thought was a cheap buy. But the original price was quite, quite high. She had been obviously oblivious to its value. She says, and this is key, just as with my sweater... I have often treated the power of Jesus' blood like a cheap purchase. And we probably all have, right? We've treated Jesus' blood on the cross for our sins like a cheap purchase. She says, His grace, though free to me, carried a high price tag, the life of God's very own Son, Jesus. Have you trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior? If not, today is a day of salvation. Never wait for tomorrow. Never wait for tomorrow. The Bible calls us to confess that we are a sinner in need of a Savior. I've said that. We all sin. We've all messed up. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But we are called to believe in Jesus as the one and only Savior. Believe John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. We're called to commit to him and trust in him. And I know some of you have been coming here for many, many years, maybe decades, maybe longer than I've been alive. But have you truly confessed you're a sinner in need of a Savior, committed to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, trusted in him? Are you truly living for Jesus? Maybe some of you have strayed and you need to turn your life back to Jesus. Commit to him today. Keep living for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and rise again. Lord God, if there's anyone here today who has not surrendered to you, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day to confess they're a sinner in need of a Savior, to believe in you as the one and only Savior, to trust in you and commit to you. Or maybe today is a day to rededicate their life to you for some. They've strayed. They've fallen away. May they rededicate their life to you. Lord God, we know that we... We aren't saved by a prayer, we're saved by what's in our heart, a total commitment to you. But we can tell you, Lord, in a simple prayer, that we are committing to you. A prayer like this, Lord Jesus, I confess I have sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I am trusting in you and committing my life to you. Please come into my life and help me to live for you. Lord God, we thank you that you are in our life. If we are in Christ, if we know you as Lord and Savior, we walk in newness of life. By the power of the Holy Spirit within us, help us all walking with you, living in a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you said a prayer to commit your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, share it with someone. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. God wants a relationship with you. I say this every week, I say it again, and this is for those watching or listening online as well, for the virtual, the people taking part virtually. If you have questions about God and the spiritual life, never hesitate to call me up.
I'd love to answer any questions you have, or at least try to answer. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to help you out. Even if you're a non-Christian, even if you're militantly against Christianity, that's fine. I would love to talk to you about Christianity. As always, our altars are open, and if something, if God's laid something in your heart and you want to come forward to kneel at the altars to pray, come on forward and pray. If, if you just want to stay seated during the closing song and pray, if God's laid something in your heart and you, you can't walk forward or something, just never hesitate to just go to the Lord in prayer. Turn over to the praise team. Amen. A reason to give thanks.